Appreciate that, Mark. And I will say, Micah as well, I want to thank you. I know there were countless Sunday mornings that you came in and helped with the setup team and other things like that. So I appreciate your heart to serve, and you always did it with a smile. And uh, we are going to miss you, but we're excited for you too. Appreciate you, Micah. Turn to John chapter 10 in your Bibles, if you would. John is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And John, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find it on your, on your phone, I'm sure, but I know you can especially find it in your bulletin if you look there. Uh, let me just say a couple of things that sometimes people do in our culture to get your attention so that you might kind of calm down, quiet down, and listen to someone who's going to talk. One of the things that they'll do, uh, we've done this here at Oconee Fellowship before with different events that we have, but sometimes someone will turn the lights on or off, Right? Everybody knows that when a crowd is gathered and it's kind of loud, if the lights turn on and off, usually that means let's calm down for a moment. Someone's going to get up and, and talk, so let's give our attention to them and listen to what they have to say. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is you have someone, I am not this person, I don't know how to do this, but somehow they put their fingers in their mouth and they can whistle as loud as possible, and you hear it, you almost cringe to hear it, but you know that means calm down. Uh, someone's going to talk, so we need to listen to what they have to say. And uh, one of my favorites, it's almost universally known, is if you're somewhere where there's a crowd, maybe you're celebrating someone's birthday or an anniversary, a wedding, something like that. If someone stands up with a glass and knocks on it with a fork, that means it's time to listen. It's time to give someone your attention. Now, there's a way that Jesus is going to do that here in this passage for us where he's encouraging all of the hearts, not only back then in that crowd, but also all of our hearts here this morning to slow down, uh, in some ways to kind of calm our hearts down, and to listen to what he has to say to us. And the way that he says that and gets our attention is by saying something emphatically. And you'll notice here at the beginning of this text, Jesus says, truly, truly. So in other words, there he is. He's, he's turning the lights on and off. He's, he's clanging on the cup. He's whistling and saying, your hearts need to hear the truth that I have to say. He's, he's getting our attention. He's speaking emphatically right here to make sure that all of us are listening. He's not only speaking emphatically, he's talking authoritatively. Uh, they've heard... Other religious leaders speak, they've heard rabbis speak, they've heard different, I'm sure, politicians in their day speak with authority, with authority, but Jesus is speaking authoritatively on a level they probably haven't heard before, because he's speaking as the King of Kings. He's speaking as the Lord of Lords. He's speaking as the Good Shepherd. So he not only emphatically says, truly, truly, but authoritatively he says, I say. And last, to get our attention, he says personally, truly, truly, I say to you. Now this is that moment pastors often will say, this uh, word here in the Greek is the second person plural, so really what he's saying is y'all, okay? True, yes. But isn't it the case when sometimes you feel like someone's speaking to a crowd in general, you don't really feel like they're talking to anyone in particular? Not so with Jesus. When Jesus says, you all, what he's saying to everyone in the crowd back then that's listening to him in John chapter 10, 
and to all of us here this morning is I'm not speaking to a crowd in general. I'm speaking to each one of you personally, individually, and in particular. So it would be good for us to listen. The lights have been turned on and off. The whistle has been heard. We've heard the glass being clinked with the fork. Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, He is going to say, as we listen, we want to listen to Him, invite us to open the door. That's going to be our first point. And then we want to listen now that He's given us that call to hear Him as He tells us why He came. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word together. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The reading of God's Word which He has given to you because He loves you and He wants you to know Him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would give us ears to hear this morning and hearts to receive this Word from Christ who is the door for the sheep and who came to give us abundant life. Holy Spirit, help us hear our Savior, our Good Shepherd, in whose name we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We want to listen to Jesus. He's spoken emphatically, authoritatively, personally to every single one of us here this morning. And He's inviting you this morning to open the door. Uh, there are various times, some of you may have heard this, that Jesus makes some I am statements in the Gospel of John. He'll say, I am the bread of life. He'll say things like, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And a variety of other statements, but here Jesus is going to say, I am the door. And so he invites us to open that door by allowing us to hear his declaration that he is the door. That's the first thing that comes. The declaration, the simple statement. He says, I am the door the door of the sheep. He says that twice, even as you move forward in the passage, you can see him, he says again, I am the door. Now just for a moment, step back and think about what a door is and how it functions. A door is both a boundary and a door is an entryway. It's a boundary to say that what's on that side of the door is not the same thing as what's on this side of the door. It's an entryway that often, not every door, but it's an entryway that some doors can say, and you are invited to enter this door. So there are boundaries and there are entryways. There are some doors that you can see, maybe on a daily basis, maybe every now and then, that these are the kind of doors that say, do not enter. If you are not the right person with the right passcode, you should not enter this door. They're usually metal or have bars on them. Who knows what they look like, but they mean... Don't come in here. There are other doors that have windows inside of them that are not locked. In fact, there are some doors that you go out um, at stores and different things like that, 
the moment you get close to them, they open, right? They're trying to invite anyone and everyone who gets close to come into where you are. So here's the declaration. Jesus says, I am the door. And so the question is, is he a door that wants you to stay out? Or is he a kind of door that wants you to come in? And I love that this passage makes it very clear that it's not just a declaration, I am the door, but there's also an invitation as well. You can see this in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me. You know, so, so there's the invitation. It's, it's to anyone. You'll notice that D- Jesus doesn't simply provide the door. He doesn't simply point to the door. Jesus says he personally is the door. And you'll notice that there's a universal offer to anyone and everyone who gets near that door to come in. Anyone enters. If anyone enters by me. He's the door for any nationality. If you're Canadian or American or Chinese or Afghanistan, whoever you are, you can enter. You can enter if you're a woman or a man, a boy or a girl. You can enter if you're seven years old, if you're 77 years old. You can enter. Anyone can enter. Any socioeconomic level, any addiction, any background, any experience, anyone is invited to enter this door. If anyone enters, and notice that Jesus says, by me. He alone is the door by which we enter, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But there's the declaration, I am the door. The invitation that comes out to you this morning, if anyone enters by me, and you'll notice, you know, if you remember some of the old game shows, maybe there's some already that are still on. It's kind of, can you guess what's behind door number one? Can you guess behind what's door number two? Well, Jesus doesn't want you to guess what's behind the door. He wants you to know exactly and precisely what's behind the door. In verse 9, again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you know, it's like one of those doors that it has glass panes in it because he really wants you to see what's inside to entice you to come in. He says, if you enter by him, you will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In some ways, as we talk about how doors are boundaries, things are different on one side than they are on the other side. In some ways, Jesus is saying, on one side is the curse of the law and the justice of God against our sin. Entering into that door through Jesus is salvation from those things. He mentions about going in and out. On one side of the door is our constant search for freedom. On the inside of that door is actual freedom. You'll notice he also says that we would find pasture. On one side of that door is looking for satisfaction and constantly thinking we found it and then being disappointed that it's not the deepest satisfaction we were looking for. On the inside is actual flourishing and satisfaction. The pasture that Jesus wants his sheep to have. The declaration, He is the door. The invitation, if anyone enters through Him. And then the promise being, you will find salvation. You'll be able to go in and out. There's freedom. 
find pasture, there will be flourishing. Let me mention a couple things by way of application. The first one is this. Jesus, according to this passage in all of Scripture, is not simply a door. He is the door. It's one of those things where you can say, well, is it really gracious of God to only provide one door when it seems like there's so many other seeming doors out there with religions and philosophies of life? Here's the thing. We know God is gracious because there could not be any door at all and He would still be just. But He does provide a door, which is the door Jesus Christ for us to walk through. That's how we know He's gracious. That despite the fact that we deserve the opposite, He's provided a door of salvation. You know, it's interesting because here Jesus is saying, I'm the door alone through which you can find salvation, freedom, and flourishing. It's not a popular thing to say nowadays in our culture. It hasn't been for quite some time. But here's, here's what's interesting. I'll mention this. Stephen Prothero is a professor at Boston University. He's written for the New York Times. He's constantly on NPR. Uh, a while back, he wrote a book called God is Not One. He himself not coming from a Christian perspective or even a religious perspective. And he says, listen, there are differences in world religions and philosophies and ways of seeing life. And those differences have deep consequences. And he gives all these different examples of how we see things that have similar concepts, but they're radically different. And I'll make up some of my own just so we get the point. If we're talking about the same thing of economies, we would never say capitalism and communism are the same thing, right? You just don't. They're radically different. We would never say, and I'm not making political statements here, we would never say Democrats and Republicans are the same because it's all about politics. It's all the same. Hopefully I get a chuckle out of this one. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are not the same just because they're both politicians. They're not the same people. Georgia Bulldogs and Florida Gators are not the same, even though they both play football. Athens, Georgia and Ketchikan, Alaska are not the same, even though they all are in America. You see, there's so many other spheres of life where we understand that they're they're similar because they're about a similar thing, but they are not the same. And there's actually significant differences that have deep consequences, but yet when it comes to religion, we're often not willing to say that. We look at all these different doors that are offered out there, and we say they're all the same. And Jesus will say the one thing, the main thing that makes Him as a door different than all the rest is grace. Mercy from God that He alone shows us because of His life, death, and resurrection. So Jesus is not simply a door. He's the door by which God freely, genuinely, lovingly, passionately offers to you this morning that if you have not walked through that door, Jesus says, if anyone enters by Me, you will find salvation freedom, and flourishing. Now let me mention this as well. Not only is Jesus the door, 
but he's inviting you to enter through him this morning. To either to enter through him for the first time or maybe for the multiple time. Uh, let me say this, all of you just think of doors that you enter every single day. Um, the door of your house. Maybe when you leave your house, it's the door of your car. And then you get out, maybe you go through the door of the gas station. Usually for me, it's to pick up a bag of M&Ms. Everybody knows that by now. Then it's the door of maybe where you work and the people of who you work with. The, the door of the office of, of your boss or someone who works for you, whoever else it is. It's the door of the school that you go to, the door of the classrooms that you attend. So many doors that we open every single day and we open consistently enough that they become part of the pattern of our lives. All these different doors that you enter. And it's one of those things where we don't just open the door for Jesus one time and say, that's it, I've done it, I don't really have anything to do with him. Jesus says, listen, if you enter through me, you can go in and out and find pasture. And so, so just like maybe tomorrow morning, you get up, you open the door of your house, you walk out, you open the door of your car, you open the door of wherever you work or go to school, whatever it is you're doing, there's going to be doors in your life tomorrow. Jesus says, let me be one of them. Open me. Come into my heart and feed yourself on the pastures of grace that I have for you in my word and in prayer. I'm always open to you. So maybe open that door for the first time this morning or consistently open that door, whether it's in the morning for you, lunchtime, afternoon, whenever it is, open that door and find the pastures to feed on the grace that you are meant to enjoy. So Jesus has spoken emphatically. He's spoken authoritatively and personally to every single one of us. And so we listen. And the first thing we listen to is that he is the door that he invites you to open. He makes that declaration. He's the door, the invitation. Enter through Him and the promise that if you do, you will find salvation. But why, why did He come at His core? Why did He come here to us? Well, that's what He wants us to listen to next. He'll say, listen, there were other people who tried to come, whether it be Messianic pretenders who said they were the Messiah or religious leaders. These are the thieves and robbers that Jesus talks about here. But he says, I have something to tell to you. I came for you. You can see this in verse 10. He says, I came. Now, just to pause there. Uh, recently, my car broke down. Mark knows this. I told him all about it. And I, I kind of felt bad that I had to call Liz because I know she had a ton of things going on. And I said, would you come and, and help me get to where I need to be because my car just broke down? And she came, and I thought, you know, in the middle of the day, to stop what you were doing, to come to me, you know, the three miles that it was or something like that, that means a lot to me, that you would press pause and travel to get to me. And when Jesus says, I came, do you know the distance that that entails? Heaven to earth. A place filled with glory and light and love and all of it in perfection. And he was willing to come to a place filled with darkness and sin and guilt and rebellion. And yet he came. So don't miss that. Even when it says that he came, he came. And I will say this, the, the gospel of John is emphatic to tell us why Jesus did not come. This is John chapter 3. This is right after John 3.16 when Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.17, right after that, Jesus says, I did not come. So here it is. I didn't come to condemn the world. In other words, I justly could have because of the sin and rebellion against me and my Father. But I didn't come to condemn. But I came to save the world. And here, he uses similar language. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. But his needing to come implies, like when I called Liz, there's a problem. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, all we like sheep had turned away. We had turned everyone to our own way. The prophet Isaiah says something very similar. He says, he says my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. So this is the prophet speaking on behalf of God. They've forsaken me, the fount of living water. And they've hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. In other words, what he's saying is, I am the one who is life. You're looking for life everywhere else. And you won't find it. So when Jesus says, I came that they may have life, it's the problem that all of us have in our hearts that we're looking for life in anyone or anything or any experience other than God himself. So the problem is that all of us define the abundant life in our own way. We often define it selfishly and circumstantially. Maybe the abundant life is being really popular. Maybe the abundant life for you is being really comfortable and everything is convenient and goes well and works perfect. Maybe the abundant life for you is pleasure, business success, ease. How do you define the abundant life? Because we often, when we hear abundant life, even if we're believers, we might say, you know, those TV preachers that promise everything's going to go well in life and we're going to be wealthy and healthy. I know they're wrong. Do you? And I mean it in this way, that we often think, okay, if God loves me, I'm going to have an abundant life, which means everything will go well. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But listen, God gave Adam and Eve the abundant life in the garden, and they said, we want more. God gives Israel abundant life in the promised land, just overflowing with milk and honey and anything they could ever need in abundance. And they said, we want more somewhere else. And something different. And we do the same thing. God offers us the abundant life of knowing His heart, life flowing from Him, and we define abundant life far different from the way He does. And not only do we define abundant life differently, but we devise ways to get it on our own. We'll work ourselves to death. We'll lie. We'll cheat. We'll do whatever it needs we need to do, good or bad, to attain whatever life we've defined as the abundant life. We'll devise any strategy to try to get it. And we'll be encouraged if that strategy is working. We'll be extremely discouraged if that strategy is not working. But here's one of the things that God's Word will tell us, that any time we pursue life apart from Him, it will leave you exhausted, disappointed, 
And the Bible warns us and says it ends in death. Now this is where I want to pull back and just share two stories of people I think almost everybody in this room knows, just to give examples of this, okay? And I don't know their hearts as individuals, but listen to this, Tom Brady. This was after he uh, won, I think it was only Super Bowl number two, right? Um, I mean, he's, he's at the, the pinnacle of his career at that point. He's got everything he could ever want. He's giving an interview, and he says, you know, I've won the Super Bowl multiple times now. I have everything I want. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful family, a wonderful house, great friends, and I can't help but keep thinking, God, there's got to be more than this. I mean, everybody would say, Tom Brady, you have the abundant life. And he goes, I don't think so. It's got to be somewhere else because I'm not experiencing it. Jim Carrey. Some of you know the actor, comedian Jim Carrey. He would say, I wish everybody could be as successful as they could be and have all the money and popularity in the world and achieve everything they ever wanted to achieve like I have in my own life and realize it's absolutely nothing. He's admitting there's still emptiness there. I thought this would be what would make me feel like I've now achieved the abundant life. But here's how Jesus defines the abundant life. He doesn't define it circumstantially. He defines it spiritually and relationally. Abundant life in the Gospel of John is is really similar to how um, he says eternal life. And in John 17, 1-3, Jesus says, This is eternal life. That they know you, Father, and the one whom you have sent. So the abundant life that Jesus says that he come to offer is to reconcile us back to a relationship with the Father. And that we would know the Father through him, the door that invites us to come into the Father's presence. Jesus says this is the abundant life. You've been looking for life everywhere else but a relationship with Him who is life is the only place we can find it. So He defines life as in relationship with Him. And that's why in Scripture, one of the things you see over and over with people who trusted in God is their circumstances can be a mess. But their souls, weary, exhausted, sorrowful, yes, can still be experiencing Abundant life. Because they know, they know the Father. And they know that they know the Son. But we devise strategies to get our abundant life. What was the strategy that God devised to get us abundant life? You see, the one who's speaking here says, I came in order they might have life and have it abundantly, knows that for us to have life abundantly, he must give his life exhaustively for you. He's heading towards somewhere, Calvary, where on that hill there's a cross, and he knows to give you the free gift of life so that all you have to do is receive it and have it. He has to die for it. And so... The application this morning is, have you received that abundant life? Jesus came. He traveled from heaven to earth so that you would simply receive the abundant life as a free gift. Even this morning, God Himself is freely, joyfully, passionately offering that life to you. 
And if you're here this morning and you've received that life, maybe as we enter into summertime, you'd say, I want to grow in knowing what that abundant life is. Just as I open my car door in the morning and where I go to work or school or whatever else it is, I also want to open the door of Christ to these green pastures that God says that He has. I want to know this abundant life as I read Scripture and as I pray and as I engage with God's people and talk about His love. To grow in understanding and enjoying in the midst of the constant busyness and distraction that all of us face every single day. That we would devote time to God's presence. Jesus has spoken emphatically, authoritatively, personally to every single one of us here this morning. And we listen as he invites you to open that door, the declaration, he's the door. Invitation, anyone who enters, the promise, salvation, going in and out, finding pasture. And then he says, listen to me as I tell you why I came. You try to find life everywhere else, but I came to give you the abundant life you're searching for. Receive it and enjoy it. Now, let me close with this. Think about the door to your house, or the door to your apartment, or the door to wherever you live. What's it like? What color is it? Does it have doors, or does it have, win- does it have doors in it? Does the door have doors? That's wonderful. Does the door have windows in it so that people can see inside? Maybe you have a ring camera on the side, just so you can know who it is on your phone, if you're away or if you're in the house. Um, I asked some people in the community this week, if someone rings on your doorbell at, say, let's say, six or seven in the afternoon or evening, what's your first thought? And here's some of the responses I got. Everyone hide. Who's annoying us right now? Don't people know that you don't come to someone's house unannounced nowadays? If I let them in, they'll have to take their shoes off. I just vacuumed. That's a good one. I hope there's not two of them. They might awkwardly try to convert me. Okay? These are just honest responses. Oh no, they're trying to sell me something with their cute little smiles. How do I say no? Someone's coming to your door. Now imagine this. What if someone comes to your door covered in mud, dripping with sweat, just looking absolutely covered in whatever disgusting stuff they're covered in? what are you most likely to say? And if it was like me growing up on the farm, my mom would say, go hose off and come in through the garage, right? In other words, clean up and then I'll let you in. I don't want you getting my nice carpet dirty. Understanding, understandable on one level. But know this, Jesus is talking about sheep. And if you're a sheep who's prone to wander and has become lost, and you are covered in sin and shame and addiction and failure or self-righteousness, which is also just as filthy, all of this mud, all of this muck, covered. Inside is the kingdom of God, so nice, so beautiful, What Jesus does not say is, you clean up, then you come in. He sees all of the mess that all of our hearts bring. And he says with a genuine smile, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome home.
come in. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we listen to you this morning as you invite us to open that door. Holy Spirit, would you work mightily to empower some of the hearts here maybe this morning for the first time to open that door. And Lord, especially over the summer, would we open that door over and over again, coming into the presence of our King, our Good Shepherd. And Jesus, we listen as you tell us why you came. We look so many places so often, somewhere other than you, for that abundant life. But here you are to give it to us this morning. We receive it by faith, and no matter what our hearts look like this morning, we know that you are inviting us to enter that door once again and that you welcome us back home. Jesus, thank you that you are our good shepherd who loved us and laid his life down for us. We ask this all in your precious name. Amen.